over the years, if you've hung around our church, um, I have chronicled my detest for flying on airplanes. And last week, I flew home with my wife from Phoenix. We were visiting our adult children, had a great time. But I had to get on that airplane. And every time I'm on it, I feel like somebody stuck me in the middle of a toothpaste tube and stuck me in there with way too many people. And by the way, on uh, Frontier, if you're from Frontier, don't be offended. But Frontier Airlines, there is so, no social distancing. And they just cram you together, right? So I'm on the aisle seat where I like to be because I can get my shoulder over the aisle and then take half my wife's seat. That's always my strategy. But I'm looking about four rows in front of me, and there's this gentleman. He's a little older than I am. He's a good-sized guy. And he got stuck in that dreaded middle seat spot with what I could only guess was a seat next to him with his wife. Well, the aisle seat was wide open, and I thought, he's just praying no one sits in that aisle seat. He's just praying he gets some freedom. And lo and behold, a few minutes later, this lady sits down next to him. Now, I don't want to be mean, but she was not a petite woman at all, so there was a lot of space being taken up by everybody in that seat. But that wasn't the worst part of it. And I didn't know this even could happen in this day and age, but she had a dog that she sat on her lap. I'm like, oh my goodness, there's a dog sitting on her lap in the airplane. And it wasn't one of those little Shih Tzu dogs. Can you say Shih Tzu in church? Is that okay to say? It wasn't a Shih Tzu dog. It was like a 20-pound lap dog. And I'm watching, and this made this a little bit funny in my mind. This was a just real pleasant, older African-American gentleman. But he's looking at this dog who's starting to sniff him and lick him and put his paws. And I'm just thinking, this dude is in trouble because he is trapped between this woman, her dog, and everything else. And I thought if I was sitting in that seat, if I was sitting in that seat, that dog would need a parachute because it would be getting off this plane right now, right? So I didn't even know when that happened. You can have a dog on your lap on the plane, whatever. But we all kind of hate to be trapped physically, especially, but we also realize that we could get trapped in our own mindsets, that there is a mind trap that goes on in our brains in the way we see the world. And the question we want to ask in this series that we're kicking off today is simply this, is how do you know when a mindset, because we all have a mindset, the way we were raised, the culture we live in, the things that have happened, we all have a mindset, becomes a mind trap. And you kind of lock into a way of seeing things that's not good for you, it's not good for the people around you, it's not good for your family. And we're going to talk about that over the next couple weeks. Um, there was an interesting ancient philosopher. His name was Epictetus. I think I've said that right. And he said this, we are disturbed not by things, because there's things all around us, but by the view of which we take of them. Isn't that true? I mean, it's just not the thing that disturbs me. It's how I view the thing. And everyone has a different view of the things in our world. And the view we have influences our lives and how the way we feel and the direction our life goes. One of the people my mom would read to me a lot about when I was a kid was Helen Keller. Helen Keller, you may know, is this woman who became very famous. She was blind and she was deaf, and so she had the ability to really live in her own mind if she wasn't careful. And of course, if you've ever read about Helen Keller, you know if anyone had the right or the excuse to have self-pity, it was Helen Keller, except she would talk about self-pity in the most amazing ways. Look what she said about self-pity when it came to her own mind trap. Helen Keller said this. Nick Screen somewhere is coming up. I think it's coming up. Oh, there it is. So, sorry, it's right there, and I was looking at the wrong words. <laughs> I'm trapped in my own mind this morning. You see that? See, when you put those words together, you can always get yourself out of bad situations. Thanks, Amy. Self-pity is our worst enemy. Isn't that interesting that a woman that was deaf and blind would say that? 
And if we yield to it, we can never do anything wise in this world. It's fascinating that she would talk about that. And in this series, we're going to talk about how self-pity and feeling sorry for ourselves and leaning in the wrong direction are just traps. And so just to get us in the right direction, I want to tell you where we are going over the next three weeks. So today, we're going to talk about this, the victim trap. We'll come back to that in just a second. And next week, we're going to talk about the negativity trap. And I'm specifically talking about that next week because it will be the Sunday after the election. And I'm just going to guess there's going to be some negativity rolling around in our world no matter who wins the election. And I want us to think about how we can rise above negativity. So make sure you come back for that. And then in week three, we're going to talk about the all or nothing trap, which may be a new idea for you, but I think it's going to be super helpful. And I want to talk about these three things over the next three weeks because I think these things are everywhere in our culture. Now, here's the temptation that I talk about when we do these kind of series is that we all have this thought of, oh, negativity, oh, self-pity, oh, when it comes to, you know, it only affected me. You, you probably already thought of someone that you wish would hear this message. And that's fine. Invite them, bring them forward the message on them online. But listen, if we don't realize these messages are for us or these thoughts and these principles are for us, we miss out on our own best lives. And I want you to grab on the idea that, hey, this may help other people, but I need to apply it to my life because that's where real change happens. So today, I want to talk about the victim trap. The victim trap is such an interesting thing because I think we all can fall into it. And the victim trap for you may look like one of these scenarios. Like maybe you're a parent and you got called by the principal and your kid punched some other kid. And, and your immediate response may be, oh, my Johnny, it couldn't have been his fault. It had to be the other student's fault. Or it had to be the fault of the teacher because the teacher doesn't like my kid because my kid has the wrong last name and all these things. And immediately, before we start thinking about our own child, we think about what everybody else has done. Maybe for you it's a car accident. You ran into the back of someone else's car. And as opposed to just going, listen, I did this. We start to come up with all these reasons why it was everyone else's fault. Like the city put in the wrong lights and the car ahead of me was too new and the taillights don't show up right enough. We come up with all these reasons why we're the victim. Maybe for you, a friend canceled. It's a good friend, but canceled on another lunch date. And you go immediately to, oh, all my friends are just all bad. No one likes me. No one appreciates me. Not to mention your friend has like 27 kids and she's trying to get her bachelor's degree and work a full-time job. You mean, don't take that into account. We just go immediately how I'm getting ripped off in this world. How about church? You maybe belong to a small group or you've been in a small group and you walked away from your last small group and you're like, I'm so frustrated because they never asked me what I think. And I raised my hands and I had an opinion, but our small group leader always asked so and so and so and so, and I'm getting ripped off in my own small group. And so I'm quitting this small group. I'm trying another small group and I'm just a victim in every group I'm ever in. It's a dangerous place to live. Maybe this for you is like your 10th church you've tried. And that's okay. We're glad you're here. But here's been your story, your scenario, is the pastor didn't call me, the pastor didn't show up, somebody didn't say hi to me, and it's just about clicks, and now I'm going to another church, I'm trying another thing, and I'm just a victim when it comes to churches. You know, we ask the question, how's that working out for you? And of course, in this political season, I mean, isn't it true in the political season we're in, 
Everybody's a victim. I don't care what side of the political party you're on. The other side is ripping you off and going to take away everything that means something to you. Do you feel that right now? And the cool thing or the interesting thing about that is everybody feels that way. It's just not your group. It's every group feels that way. And what if, what if we could figure out how not to fall into the victim trap? So here's the question to get us going today. Where in my life, this has to be your question, not mine, Am I trapped into feeling like a victim? What part of my life am I trapped into feeling like a victim? Because here's the truth of this. A victim mentality causes us to blame everyone else for whatever happens in our world. And then we never address it. We never rise above it. And here's what I think about you, and I know this about me, and I know this about your Heavenly Father. We want our lives to go in a better direction so we can be an influencer on this world. And if I live in a victim mentality, I'll never get out of the place I'm in. And you don't want to stay where you're at. You want something better for you and your family and your kids. A couple more examples. Maybe you've heard someone say, maybe you said these things when it comes to the victim mentality. Maybe you've said, I'm always, and that's such a dangerous word, isn't it? I'm always, always, always at a disadvantage because of my circumstances. I'm just always in the worst possible place. Or how about this one? Everyone. There's another another huge word. Everyone is always out to get me. I'm like a hunted animal in our world. That's probably not true. Everyone, another one, everyone else had an easier life, and it's always hard for me. And I thought about this phrase. Um, You can feel this if you're at the lowest place in our society. You can feel this phrase if you're at the top or the peak of our society. Like, hey, it's just harder for me than everyone else, whether I'm being successful or not. It's a victim mentality. What's interesting with these kind of phrases and this kind of language and self-talk in our lives, it always lets me turn every situation back to my drama, doesn't it? It always lets me turn any circumstance into my drama and it's about me. And that's just not a healthy place to live and you don't want to live there. Now, Before we get into the rest of this message today, I have to pause for a minute and just recognize some of you in this room have really been victims of some stuff. I mean, you really, really have. And I I don't understand some of the things that you've gone through, and I don't want to discount that in any way. Maybe when it comes to a crime or racism or abuse or sexism, you have somehow been a victim to someone else or someone's else in this life. And I get that, or at least I try to understand that. But even if you have been a victim, can I ask you a question? Wouldn't you like to rise above it? Instead of being considered a victim or, you know, self-talk yourself into just staying a victim, wouldn't you love to see yourself as a survivor and a thriver in our world? Isn't that a huge question for all of us? And so, so here's the question as you process this. Um, what are the origins of the victim's mentality? Now, some of it's certainly personality and it's temperament, and there's a thousand you know, temperament tests and personality tests, the color tests and the Enneagram tests. You can take all those the right path. But probably for some of you, a victim mentality came from your family of origin, the family that you grew up in. And all you have to do is Google like 
family pictures and you realize why our families mess us up so quickly. Like, like I did that this week and this family popped up. And I'm like, what is going on with this dude's mustache? That just tells me there's a victim mentality happening. And why would you bring three cats to a family picture? And if you're a cat lover, I'm just here to tell you that's too much. And don't bring them on the airplane. That's not good either. Or, or, or maybe this family that might represent my family because apparently this dude's a pastor, right? Why is his son, is that his mom or is that his sister? I don't know. He's choking out his mom. I mean, what is going on here? See, families will mess you up. And of course, this, this poor little fella, what do you think he's going to turn out to be someday? I mean, your family messes you up. And that's all fun, right? We laugh at that. But it isn't true for some of us. We grew up in a family that it was always someone else's fault. It was always a coach's fault. It was always a boss's fault, a teacher's fault. You didn't have the right name. There was always someone to blame. And there was a little bit of this mentality, if I'm miserable, you have to love me. If I'm miserable, you have to give me attention. And so we were miserable on purpose so we would get attention. And that is not the best place for us to live. It's a mind trap that comes from a mind set. Now here's the good news for us. Whether you're a Christian or Jesus follower or not, when you open up the pages of Scripture, there are all kinds of people that were put in the place of a victim. I mean, they were legitimate victims all throughout Scripture. And so many of them rose above just being a simple victim. And one of those was the Apostle Paul. I know we've talked a lot about the Apostle Paul. Ben talked about him last week. The Apostle Paul, if you don't know, started out persecuting Christians. He hated Christians. He would capture them, jail them. Some of them he'd have stoned and put to death. And then the Apostle Paul runs into the resurrected Jesus. I mean, it's, it's an amazing story. And he's completely converted into a Jesus follower. It's the coolest thing. And then he gets to spend several years with guys like Peter and John and James, Jesus' brother, people that knew Jesus like no one else knew Jesus on the planet. And he becomes grounded in who he is and what he would do and where his hope came from. And then eventually, the Apostle Paul, he packed his bags and he started out into the world to plant churches and share this good news of Jesus with everyone that he could run into. Now here's the challenging part. While amazing things happened in Paul's life, I mean miraculous, amazing, saw people's lives turned around, churches built all over the place. At the same time, he suffered like maybe no one else other than Jesus suffered. I mean, things were done to him that if anyone could say, I'm a victim of this world, he could. And I just thought I would read to you his account. And I need to tell you, as I read this account of what he suffered and what he went through, he, he's whining just a little bit. Because I think as he's at his ro end of his rope and he's tired and he's worn out of all this that's happened. But listen to what the Apostle Paul, maybe the greatest follower of Jesus ever, he said, I have worked much harder than all of you. That's what he's saying. He, he's whining just a little bit. It's okay. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged, and that was a terrible process of beating somebody. I've been flogged more severely, and I've been exposed to death again and again and again. He goes on. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes. That was a terrible thing. Five different times, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I've never been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. And if you read that story, he was pelted so badly with stones, they literally thought he was dead and they were going to bury him in the dirt. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I, he says, I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. I mean, I've never faced a bandit. 
in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles. I have been in danger in the city and in danger in the country. What he's saying is everywhere I've gone in my life, danger has followed me, life and death danger, in danger at sea, in danger from the false believers. I have labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger. I've ne- obviously, I've never known hunger. Things that have not gone without, I've gone without food and I've been cold and I have been naked. He wraps this up. Besides, besides, everything else, I face daily pressure and my concern for all the churches. In other words, these church people are driving me crazy. I'm trying to keep them in the right direction and I am exhausted. And I just read that to you because I wanted you to hear a guy that if anybody could say, hey, I've been a victim. It's me. But I'm choosing not to be a victim. What's fascinating about Paul, he was a victim directly correlated to his obedience to Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this may make no sense to you, but he followed Jesus, and it seems like the more um, diligently he followed Jesus, the worse things got because people didn't like the message that was being shared about God's amazing love. Now, I want you to think about this. What's your victim story? What's my victim story? My kid's coach was unfair. My boss wasn't just. My neighbor's dog barks too loud. My last church didn't pay attention. I know some of you have stories that are really tough. I, I, I know that. I don't want to diminish that. But compared to that, not to mention at the end of his life, he has his head cut off. And this isn't really part of the message today, but for those of us that are followers of Jesus, I, I have to ask this question. What? What would we do if our faith actually cost us something? Have you thought about that, Christians in the room? What would we do if our faith actually cost us something? And I know some of you say, well, here's what my... No, come on, we live in the easiest world we've ever lived in as Christians right now. The Apostle Paul, he gave everything for what he believed. That's just a side note. That's just something to think about. He decided, though, to keep going, to keep pushing forward. He decided, I'm going to rise above all these things because something has been done in my life that I just cannot turn away from. And it doesn't mean Paul didn't have those dark nights of the soul where he asked the question, is this worth it? Is this real? Is it worth the sacrifice and the pain? And along with those questions, I wonder if he asked the question, could God be setting up the circumstances, because these are all circumstances, around me to do something in me and something through me. Could all this stuff be happening because he wants to do something in me and through me? Now, it's fascinating because he writes another little letter. This is a letter to a church in Corinth. He writes another little letter to some believers in Philippi that he was super close with. He, he loved them. He was close to them. He trusted them. And and it's like they are asking the question, okay, Paul, you have been through so many hard things. How did you get through it without having a victim mentality? And this is what he said. For me, to live is Christ. Now, you kind of got to dig into that a little bit. For me to live is to Christ, that means if I wake up tomorrow and I'm still living, I might get jailed again. But I might be hungry again. I may take another beating. The church people may treat me poorly. But here's what I'm going to decide to do in the middle of those victim circumstances. I'm not going to let it become a victim mindset or a mind trap. I'm going to shine. 
I'm going to let the world know that God loves them because he really does. And I'm going to choose to put one foot in front of the other and rise above the fact that people have treated me wrong. And I'm going to come with the spirit of truth. And I'm going to come with the spirit of love and the spirit of joy. And I'm going to let that shine. And it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean I don't have dark nights. But I'm making a decision that God is going to do something through me. And I'm going to be part of God changing the world. And tomorrow may be a rough day. But I'm going to choose to rise above and shine for me. To live is to Christ. But look at the next thing he says. You may recognize this. And to die, it's gain. See, see, I might be alive on this planet for 50 years, 60 years, 80 years, and that's good. And I'm going to give all I have. But at the end of my 50, 60, or 80 years or less, (laughs) I'm going to step from this world into eternity. And I'm going to be greeted by my heavenly father. I'm going to be greeted by Jesus and some friends that went before me. And I'm going to step into a place that has hope and has joy. And there's no more mess and there's no more pain. There's no more pandemics and there's no more strife. There's hope and joy and love. And I'm going to step into whatever it is, life or death tomorrow. Because my life's not my own. I have given my life to my heavenly father. And I have hope whether I live or whether I die. It's an eternal perspective, my friends, that steals away the ability just to be a victim. I'm not going to be a victim. My life belongs to God. Maybe, again, it's this idea. Could God be setting up the circumstances around you, around me, around Paul to do something in you and through you? Have, Have you asked yourself that? I mean, and I get it. Some of you are going through such tough things right now. And I hope there's some relief and some hope in you. But I also wonder, could God be setting something up to do something in you? Maybe even carrying around something for years that you're still just ripped apart at the heart. Could God use that to do something in you? So he looks at his friends. He's writing this church, this beautiful place in Philippi. And he says, guys, I love you. You know my story. As far as you're concerned, he says, whatever happens, because a lot can happen. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Remember when Jesus gave everything for you? Yeah, we remember that. Conduct yourself in that way. You are more than just a survivor in this world. You've got to thrive. you have any idea what God has done for you? Not to mention, my friends, some of you, us included, you're looking for a little bit of control. Do you realize this is a way that you can have some control in our, your life? Because in your life, in my life, there's so many things we can't control. Isn't it true? I mean, your kids grow up, you can't control them. The world goes where it goes, you can't control that. But you control your response to what happens in your life. And you can control the fact you do not have to be a victim. Now, I can say all that, and it hopefully means something to you because it means a tremendous amount to me. But I thought I'd also just give you a simple plan today. That if you feel like you have a victim mindset you might be able to walk out of it. So here's just three simple things that might be helpful as you overcome that. And the first is, would you be willing to identify your victim thoughts? Because this idea of identifying is so important. Like you go, oh, you know what? That's not a healthy thought. I don't want to be a victim, and so I'm not going to go down that road. And here's the cool thing. The more you identify your victim thoughts, the more you'll see them everywhere. It's like any time that you're paying attention for something, whether it's a car, how people dress, you know, slogans and signs... You'll identify them as you see them more and more. And if you identify your victim thoughts, you'll recognize them quicker. And you'll be able to say, you know what? I don't want that in my life. That's that's a step. 
The second step is, would you be willing to be aware of the false benefits of your victim thoughts? Quick question, you know what to respond to this. How many of you, like after lunch, like to sneak some, you know, chocolate, some sugar or something just to keep you awake after too much lunch? Anybody around here ever do that, right? And you think, oh, I got to have it because if I don't, I'm not going to make it through the afternoon. That's great. And there's an immediate, you know, response when you eat a little bit of chocolate. And then like an hour and a half later, you're hiding in the bathroom stall with your head against the stall trying to take a nap because you sugar crash, right? And you're like, oh, that was like a false benefit. And here's the crazy thing about a victim mentality for all of us. It kind of feels good. I mean, you get to tell your sob story to everybody. Here's what you know, though. It doesn't help you move forward in your life. And when you're willing to go, listen, I'm recognizing there's some false benefits to me being a victim. It takes the power away from a victim mentality. It's a huge idea. And lastly, what about replace them with something that's more helpful like perspective. I, I feel like a victim, but listen, I'm going to have a perspective because I know some people that have had it worse than me, but they're doing better than me. And I'm going to model my life after them and after Jesus and after Paul because I want to do better with where I'm going. I want to do better with my life. The, uh, the idea of a silver lining that maybe God is setting something up in my life. Maybe for you it's gratitude. God, I, I had a rough spot. My family, somebody hurt me society's been rough to me, but Lord, I'm going to be thankful for what I have, and I'm going to let my gratitude overwhelm the idea that I feel like a victim. Maybe for you, it's this whole four Van Wert County we're doing. And when that got talked about, and Ben talked about four Van Wert County, you know, the food thing, and handing out food, doing an Operation Christmas box, you know, providing Christmas for some families, you just brush it off like, oh, I don't have time for that. But what if, what if that was one of the things that could push out your victim mentality? Like instead of feeling sorry for myself and having pity, which Helen Keller said, and everybody trusts Helen Keller, that we shouldn't have, what if that helped push that out because I'm actually doing something for someone else than just thinking about me? What if that changed the direction of your life? It, because maybe you've discovered, especially if you discover Jesus, that any breakdown is just a setup for God's breakthrough. It's true, isn't it? We could tell story after story of this place where someone had a breakdown, someone had a meltdown, they had a mess in their life, and at the end of the story, God broke through and did something incredible. And the Apostle Paul's life is such an incredible picture of this. He wrote over half the New Testament. He started so many churches. We talk about him. We name churches after him, even though he went through all that stuff. The beautiful part about this is he is not the originator of coming out of a victim mindset. Do you, do you know who is? Your Savior and my Savior, Jesus. In the same little book to the Philippians, this church in Philippi, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, in all your relationships, that means every part of your life, with one another, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus because Jesus, he was a slave. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was crucified. And then he rose above it. So look how he says that. Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. I mean, if we could just get that in our minds that I don't use everything in my life for my advantage, I use it for other people and what God is doing. Because Jesus did that. He didn't use it for his own advantage. Rather, 
He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. He became a slave. He was God incarnate with his heavenly Father. He became a human being. He enslaved himself in the body we have to live in. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross, which is a terrible thing. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. In other words, God took his victim place and he exalted him out of that to do something great in the world. And this is what Paul says, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Do you, do you know why I think Paul was able to live the way he lived? Because he saw and knew his Savior live that way. And it offered him forgiveness and hope and eternity. It's why he could say, for me to live is Christ. No matter what happens, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, I'm going to live in the middle of it, and if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad, but I'm going to live for Jesus. But to die, <laughs> it's gain, because I'm going home to be with my Heavenly Father. And the question for us is, would you, would I allow the Lord that gave everything to give us freedom from being a victim in our world, to dwell, dwell in self-pity and sorrow and step out of, into something better? It doesn't mean if you're in the middle of something really hard right now, you can't hurt, but it does mean you can have hope. And maybe for some of you, it's just simply, I'm going to identify my victim thoughts. And every time they pop up, I'm going to say, no, nah, I'm not going to be that. Maybe for some of you, it's to be aware that those thoughts are really not helpful no matter how good they feel. Maybe for you, it's to replace them with a different perspective, a heart of gratitude, a heart of helping someone else, a heart that, God, you're still in the middle of this, even though it's super, super hard right now. I'm not letting go of you. And it would set us up to live in a place of freedom. Because we all know this, a mindset can become a mind trap. And none of us want to be trapped. None of us want to be locked in a place that's not good for us or the people around us. And this is an opportunity to say, all right, God, some stuff has happened or is actually happening right now. But I need to rise above through my hope and my hanging on to you. And I'm going to walk the way Paul did, the way you did, Jesus into something that's good for your kingdom. For, for me to live is Jesus. I'm going to live today for Jesus. And if I die, I'm going to stand in front of Jesus with a smile on my face because I trust him as my Lord and my Savior. And that does mean if you're here and you do not have faith in Christ, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to draw close to the Savior of the world who absolutely, with his whole heart, loves you today. So let's do this. Let's not be victims. Let's rise above. Let's come back next week and find out how not to be negative either. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for the story of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, you know I can fall into the trap of being negative. I can fall into the trap of feeling like a victim in so many different ways. But help me to follow Paul's example and your example, Jesus how to walk through it and hang on to you. I pray our prayer today would be to live as Jesus and to die as for us to gain because our faith in you. 
Thanks for your love. Thank, thank you for the people that are here watching online in the room that are going through tremendous struggle, God, today. I pray that you'd give them hope and help and they would know that you are with them in the middle of it and that you will walk them through as they hang on to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.